Welcome to the Cabin Culture Podcast, where we spend a little more time diving deeper into all the fun parts of cabin culture. We like to think of this as both the material and imagined expressions of how cabin lovers, dwellers, builders, and designers wish to live a more simple and authentic life. We're back this week on the podcast with part two of our interview with Candace. And I first of all, want to apologize for the quality of this audio intro, but I wanted the podcast to get out on time and I didn't remember to bring my microphone home. So this is recorded on the good old iPhone. If you listened to last week's episode, then you know exactly where we left off. We're picking up part two with Candace, the host of Boho A-Frame out on the West Coast. If you didn't listen to part one, it's not necessary for part two, but it definitely lays some foundational groundwork as to who Candace is, what her space is like, and just a lot of the details that will help you understand her point of view. We're back today talking more about hosting and Weirdly, when editing, I noticed that this half tends to be a lot of host horror stories. Not all of it. We're going to get to the good stuff later, but we do start this episode by sharing some of our personal hosting horror stories. As always, thanks for joining us. Let's do it. Done. Okay, that took a while. I was like sitting here like, when am I going to pop up? I think I'm open. (laughs) No, it's because I was typing an email and didn't add you to the stage. (laughs) I thought it was me. When it's technology, I always think it's me. But <laughs> no, this is like so funny. Both of our podcasts have been. I I'm just dealing with all kinds of Airbnb issues this morning. So my husband's texting me to like find out when the guests are checking out. It was just like it's so relatable, though, right? It's a very I know to depict the realities of hosting and how you just can't unplug it. Do you do all your own cleaning? No, I started off doing all my cleaning and then I had a lot of trouble with cleaners and I ended up with the cleaners I have now and I've been with them for probably like two years and they're amazing. If you guys are listening, yeah. I love you all. But um, yeah, yeah, so they like I was ready to quit. <laughs> See, honestly, I was like, I can't do this. I'm done. <laughs> and then because you were doing the cleaning um, because I was having so much trouble with my cleaners and finding good cleaners like you wouldn't. It's honestly kind of shocking how many cleaners aren't good at cleaning. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and it's like you need that fine balance. You need them to be, like, communicative. You need them to be good at cleaning, you know? And so, it like, there's – and you need them to have the availability, right? It's hard to find people who have that yes. one to three availability, like, continuously. And I'm just so right. blessed with my current cleaners. I love them so much. So, <laughs> But it, it took a really long time to find them. It was really hard. How did you find them? Um, I th- honestly think – um, my, my cleaner, he had just started his company, so he didn't have a short-term rental yet. And he had a, there was like a Yelp page, I think is how I came across it. And I was just like, I was just messaging out as many people as I could, like trying to find the right yep. fit. And I'm like, I, I could have had like so many different cleaners, but I'm so particular. Cause again, I'm like, I'm, I think like you, the guest experience is really important to me. It's not just a business. I'm like ramming through, you know? And he worked out amazing. And then he brought on the, one of his cleaners that he has now. So the two of them clean the space together and they're, they're awesome. So I, yeah, yeah. The core this goodness so, right there. This is so funny. Cause I just got off a cabin consultation and that was one of the questions. She's like, how did you find your cleaners, whatever. And weirdly where I found every single one of my current cleaners is on Craigslist. Yeah. And I think the trick is writing a good posting. Yeah. It isn't just because I'll get tons of responses to each of them, but I'm very specific. The hosting stuff is first. Like I need someone with an attention to detail and a heart for hosting. Yeah. Who cares about guest experience, who not only wants to clean, but like wants to make sure that it's in good shape for guests. Yeah. And when I started putting all those details, not just cleaner needed for Airbnb, must have 11 to 3 availability. I started getting, none of my cleaners are professional cleaners. They're all individuals with other jobs that are flexible who want to fill in the gaps, an artist, uh, like whatever. Those can be Um, kind sometimes. I've had companies like they don't have the attention to detail. Like they just send someone different each time. And like, it's it's like difficult and hard for like restock and like curating a particular experience. And yeah, I'm like, I'm next door and I can like check behind them. And I I write through and take photos and stuff after the whole dog piss experience to have like a, this is how they get inherited in this space. But yeah, um, but like not everyone has that luxury and it's hard to find a balance between like a cleaner that like just cleans and a cleaner that 
like can let you know and like help you with a little of the like minded yes. things. Like any, it's a fine balance, the expectation there too. You know? Oh my gosh. It's so hard, but that's where I found the clear I wrote. And because I wrote so much and I put pictures of the space, the responses I would get either are, I'm interested, call me, or I'd get a long email that was like, Hey, I loved your posting. I'm interested in hosting on Airbnb. I don't, you know, I haven't done it before. Like, that's cool. and you can just tell from their response. Yeah who's going to be like a good fit. I will say one time I arrived in Boone or um, in Freeport and it was like late at night. It was cold out. We just wanted to start a fire. And I was like, Sean, you work on the fire. I'll unpack the car. And he looked in the wood stove and like Tammy had set up like everything you need to start a fire, two pieces of wood and a fat wood. And all he had to do was light it. And I was yeah. like, girl, it's like, this is Get next level cleaning. <laughs> your Christmas gift is going to be nice this year. <laughs> That's the details that like a cleaning company is never going to think about that. But I think sometimes hosts too, they don't like respect and appreciate their cleaners as much as they should too, you know? So like it's a two-way street. So it's like, if you show them how much you value them, like they'll help in return, you know? So yeah, I always try and show my cleaners how much I appreciate them because they're like, yes. they're such an important element of my business and they're like people I care about too, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. Tammy is like my closest friend in Freeport. Exactly. We go up there and the first person I text is her and I'm like, when are we going to hang out? What are we going to do? You know? Um, and I love that. And then my cleaner at the lake, um, who I just hired cause I was not pleased with our other one. Um, oh, I have a question about the other one, but first <laughs> after like a couple times, she texted me like something that the guests had done. Not bad. Yeah. She's just like, it's weird. I'm feeling like oddly protective of this space already. <laughs> and I was, that's exactly the right people will feel that way yeah. about the space. Yep. Okay. So before her, I had a cleaning company Yeah. and the cleaner left out a tip envelope oh. in the property and, and never asked us, never told us Yeah. whenever my sister and I would show up. I don't know if I want to say this on the podcast. We would like throw it out because we were so, we did not want guests to feel like they're already paying a cleaning fee, which is controversial enough. And then to feel like they have to tip someone on top of what they're already paying for. Mm -hmm. But is that like a regional or cultural thing? Or does that feel, how does that feel to you? My initial thought was cringe. Yeah. Um, but like, I want my cleaners to be able to like collect tips. Occasionally someone will leave like a little cash for my cleaners, but I wouldn't say it's normal. I feel like that is like a standard practice in the hotel industry, you know? Right. So maybe that was like kind of transferring into short-term renting. Like I, for me, I kind of take it upon myself to give my cleaners like a tip and an additional like, thank you. Like I occasionally leave them like an envelope with, you know, a cash and whatever and like other gifts, but yeah. just kind of like a expression of appreciation because I, I don't like doing it to the guests because I feel like it makes them feel pressured to do something. And it, it's not like creating this relaxing space for them on top of the culture right now surrounding like fees. Right. <laughs> I feel like everyone's like heated online about fees. Oh. So I feel like having like a cash envelope or like a tip envelope out would just piss them off. And then you have to. I agree. And yeah. And they're not disconnecting you from your cleaner. Yeah. It's all, it's all no, one experience yeah, to them. I feel like they'll think you're trying to cash grab more from them and be irritated with you as a host. But I love it. That concept for my cleaner. I love the I know. idea that, the, that my cleaner could have that. But I'll just take it upon myself to like tell my cleaner right. thank you instead of put it on the guest because I don't want to deal with the guest irritations. Right. That. <laughs> I remember during COVID when cleanliness was like so important to getting bookings. After like, and I noticed that our old cleaner was getting a bunch of, I, I think it was after like every three reviews that specifically mentioned cleaning in them, not necessarily gave her a five on cleaning. Cause that's like kind of expected if you do a good job, but like specifically said, like I was impressed by the cleanliness. I would send her, uh, an extra Venmo. That's how I paid her. I would just send her a Venmo for no cleaning to just be like, Hey, we got three reviews that mentioned cleanliness. Yeah. That's amazing to helping us book more. We're making more money because of that. Here's more money for you. And then of course, Christmas, there's always gifts and, yeah. and bonuses. But I felt like what they, there's a name for that. It's like a, it's not a spontaneous bonus. I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. Someone introduced it to me for work. They were like, so I did the same thing. Anytime a client after a shoot, specifically shouts out like one of our freelance shooters, I would send them a little bit extra like, yeah. oh, you created a really good experience for our client, which is benefiting the business. Yeah. Here's a little bit extra. I was like, how can I apply that to my Airbnb? Gotcha. Yeah. I feel like I like, I don't do it like per review or per stay because in 
in general, my expectation is that it is clean, you know, (laughs) and I kind of don't give like reviews as much weight as I used to. I'm like, people are annoying and they'll say stupid things. Like the few times I've gotten marked on for cleanliness, it was like, we saw a bug or there was a cobweb under the cover of the um, blinds. Like you have to look up in there to see it. (laughs) I'm like, what the heck? Like no one looks up. How did you even see that? Like, Right. But, so I feel like the few times that my cleaners have gotten dinged for cleanliness, it was so ridiculous. I was just like, whatever, man. And I check behind them, like just to have a second set of eyes. So I like don't want, and I don't want to make them feel pressured by like guest review, you know, like I already have to deal with that pressure. They're good at their jobs. I trust them. Like I'm just yeah. giving them bonuses every year and there. So, but I do think that that could be powerful for like a cleaner that's maybe missing things here and there, you know? Yeah. This is all really good to think about. Do you ever share feedback just on that note of like trusting them? I struggle with this a lot. Mm-hmm. When guests give feedback on cleanliness, I struggle with filtering that mm-hmm. slash I don't want to upset them. I think they're doing a great job. I don't want to make them feel bad. Yeah. And also, if there's an area for improvement, I want to be able to give that feedback, but right. how to do that in a way that truly feels like, hey, I'm not upset at you at all. I know how guest reviews are. I just want to pass along the feedback. Do you pass it along? How do you uh, do that? It depends. If it's stupid feedback from a guest, I don't. But if it's like something worthwhile, I'll pass it on to the cleaner. Um, but like... <laughs> My cleaner and I, we have like a banter. So we're both like, can you believe this shit? You know, so like she's really nice. And he, both of them, uh, like not be taking things personal where I, one of the big issues with my cleaners before is like everything was personal and like it just was mm. drama. So I feel like if the personalities they have in my cleaners, it's really easy for us to talk about it. And most of the time we're just rolling our eyes and being like, oh, that's ridiculous. Cause we know that they did fine. And I saw that they did fine, you know? Well, so, and you're checking it afterwards. Oh, yeah. I'm so jealous. That would be so nice to just have yeah. like eyes on it afterwards yeah. and just be like, great. Right. It looks and it's good. Like occasionally something gets missed, like, you know, oh, whoops, forgot to take the trash can out or something like that. And I'll just be like, hey, just FYI. But honestly, I don't usually like, tell my cleaner something unless I've seen it happen a few times. So like, yeah, because if it happens, we're human. Yeah, exactly. That's what I tell my cleaners all the time. I was like, you're human. I don't expect perfection. At some point, you're going to miss something. And it's not a big deal. Because again, we're human and give people some grace there, right? Like, if you're picky with like, every little thing, and I'm super type A, and I'm aware of that. So I'm like, cautious to like, I'm like, just save that for later if it comes up again. So like, for example, like, my cleaner, she would take like the soap and um, like the soap holder and like the towels and set them up on a shelf in the bathroom. And then she'd clean the counter. And I think after like, she left it like three or four times on the shelf and didn't put it back on the the vanity. Not a big deal. My guests can just grab it off of there, but usually put it right. next to the sink. So after the third or fourth time, I was like, hey, just FYI, this has been left up here a few times. She's like, really? No. Like she didn't, you know, so it's like, but it wasn't a big deal, you know? So I just like, I don't know. I give him grace most of the time. And I just don't feel like I, I spent a lot of time and energy finding good cleaners that I wouldn't have to like keep in check or whatever, you know? So yeah. It's like, I'm pretty, I have faith in them. I'm just like, I let them be free. So yeah. The worst cleaning story I have, my former cleaner who I mentioned, yeah. her boyfriend was there helping her. I think they were assembling furniture. They were doing something. I paid him extra to assemble. We had like gotten a replacement bed Mm -hmm. or something. And so he had like cut open the box and the next guest checks in with her children and says, Hey, I don't even know what to say about this, but we found a knife in the bedroom and it's stuck into the trim in the bedroom. Like I just can't even make sense of what it is. You mean trim? Like the trim on the bottom you know how there's like the wall and then there's trim. It was like stuck right in between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So I like reached out to my cleaner and I was like, Hey, like, do you have any idea? Cause I was mostly worried. Like, did someone break into the house with a knife? Like what is going on? Mm-hmm. And it turns out when he was assembling the stuff, apparently that's where he stores the knife so that nobody steps on it. It's yeah. just like his own quirk that he would do, yeah. but then forgot that it was there. Mm-hmm. So a guest checked in and found a knife Thank in you. their bedroom. I- and I'm just like, you're, you're checking into a cabin in the woods. Like yeah. this is like could be very they creepy. Kids or, do they have kids? You said they had kids, right? Oh god. Yes. Nightmare. I've seen having the answer, she was cool about it. When I could explain it to her, she's like, okay, phew. I just needed to like understand what was <laughs> going like, on. Why do you guys store knives in your baseboard? <laughs> baseboard, yes. <laughs> like uh, why? Oh man, that's that's funny. Yeah, I've heard horror stories like of two of like guests like calling hosts and being like, hey. I left a gun 
like <gasps> checked out and they like left their pistol or something. And I'm like, because oh they probably hid it. They probably like put it away somewhere safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, as okay. a post, like, if I was just like went in there and someone's gun was chilling there, I would be like, okay, I hope this is legal gun. <laughs> like, I don't want any, I don't want to know anything about this. I wouldn't even want to touch it. Guns make me so uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, one more horror story. Yeah. Over Thanksgiving two years ago, I think it was two years ago, the family left a day early. So the cleaner came in and said, this is really weird. It's like a ghost town. It's like the entire family just picked up and left out of nowhere. But there are like dishes out. The fridge is fully stocked. There's like stuff on the counters. Could not make sense of it. So like, so she's like, okay. And at that time I was like, well, the food can get thrown out unless you want any of it. And she took a bunch of it because it was all Thanksgiving, like leftover food. Yeah. And Three days later, and we had guests checking in the next day. Yeah. And then three days later, the guests who checked out said, hey, I just want to apologize for leaving so hurriedly. It turns out our whole family came down with norovirus. Do you know anything about norovirus? Uh, yeah. Like mostly tied to cruises and stuff. We would get like little... I worked in the emergency medical field, so we would get like little notifications about it and stuff. Okay. I like never okay. really had to deal with a patient who had it like immediately, but yeah. Well, this is during COVID and I was like, okay, everyone's talking about COVID, but no one is talking about norovirus, which apparently causes you to vomit and diarrhea like incessantly and is highly contagious. No. Mm -hmm. And, and to clean for norovirus. So obviously she cleaned the house, but cleaning for norovirus, as I learned from this trip is a totally different beast. You have to clean everything that people touch and it has to be cleaned with bleach or it will be contagious. So then I didn't know this until three days after. So then the next family who checked in all got norovirus from that. And so then we immediately drove up to do a deep clean with bleach and everything. And we wore masks and gloves and like, but it is a whole operation. And if those guests don't tell you, and that's the thing. So I guess the takeaway from this is if you ever have norovirus and are staying at someone's place, please let them know. Yeah. It's like, otherwise there's no, it wasn't negligence. We had it clean. We just had no idea what had happened there. It's like you're not going to bleach everything like you use different cleaning products so it's like the the the, to think you would actually bleach everything from top to bottom like just in a standard clean like isn't really typical but we obviously use like sanitizing things on like right common touch areas but in like because this was during COVID. So she was doing all the advanced cleaning protocols. But even then, it's like if you're spraying like doorknobs and whatever, there's still there could be just one area in the house. Yeah, I mean the and if one person gets it yeah. Then everybody gets the it. The that we can control viruses is definitely out of control. <laughs> yeah. Like you can only do so much at some point, you know, like it'd be cool if we could just, you know, have some sort of micro bio <laughs> ability no. to like see every pathogen, but we don't, you know. So. We do not. And the thing is too, like, I feel like the big takeaway from that is guest communication is so nice to host. I feel like a lot of the time guests like don't want to tell when like something gets broken or like when something comes up and I love it when guests tell me like me too. Like, thank you so much for telling me don't worry about it we'll get it covered I appreciate the heads up like that's yes. way more my mentality than like oh my god blah 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 you know like we've had guests like grind sausages down the garbage disposal which we really ask people not to do <laughs> and like they're like <laughs> no sausages down the drain guys <laughs> no but um, just like we asked them what a specific do. request you know we just we ask people not to like put food down the drain like just use a trash bin please like we have a yeah. bin now and like a drain cover because when people see a garbage disposal they're like yeah we just put everything in there and i'm like okay, everything it's not how it's supposed to work y'all but so they like just totally destroyed our plumbing and they let me know and I was able to like be more prepared to handle that situation then because they were like about to check out I think they did it the morning of checkout so I was like all right I'm gonna be a plumber today (laughs) but but yeah everyone on social media thought that story was really funny but (laughs) I so agree knowing is better than not like text me it's fine you think you're bothering me but actually like if I'm worried about like what's going on I'm I feel way better if you just tell me about that stuff it does not bother me we're not gonna be bad if you tell us thank you no transparency is great (laughs) for sure okay I'm going back to our list because we only made it halfway through last (laughs) time I think we ended on direct booking did we get through everything on direct booking but i was just pitching you i was trying to get you to come to the direct booking side (laughs) i know i've been thinking about it ever since i've been thinking about it and date for it you really are 
Honestly, I know. Mine, I think the biggest reason I'm a big fan of direct booking is I don't have as much faith in Airbnb, VRBO, like big companies as people do. I think it's a false sense of security at the end of the day. So I know. I think you're right. I've experienced that before. And it's probably, I'm probably just one really bad interaction with one of those platforms away from that happening. Mm -hmm. And I did have something bad happen with VRBO once where the guests showed up to the house and decided not to stay because they thought the road, they were predicting snow and they thought Mm -hmm. the road was going to be too steep. And they're like, no, we're not going to stay. They did not cancel their reservation. Mm -hmm. Um, Wasn't going to give them a refund. It's the day of, we tell you about all of this ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. So they went through their credit card company and filed a chargeback. And the first one got denied and you could file three chargebacks. So then they did it again and got denied. And then the third time, I don't know if they were just sick of dealing with them, but the third time they gave them a chargeback. And each time you file a chargeback, they take the money back out of your account until it's been settled. So then they put it back in, then they took it out, put it back in, and then eventually took it out and we never got it back. Yeah. And I, and VRBO never talked to me about any of it. It was just customer service, like contacting someone. They're like Airbnb, you can contact someone, but I would say like 90% of the time, the customer service I get from them is shit. (laughs) Sorry. Um, And the other 10% of the time you actually get someone who's excellent. But the amount of times I've been like showing Airbnb and messaging them and reading them their policy that I pulled up online that I'm trying to follow or that they need to comply with. And they're just like totally make, dragging their feet and making it difficult for me is like absurd. So, I, so maybe I need to hear this because I've had all good experiences with them. So my perspective, it's nice, but I'm not protecting myself probably enough because I trust them right now. Yeah, I don't, unfortunately. It's, yeah. So maybe that's where yeah. I need to be doing that. Okay. I think they just like outsource their customer service too much. Maybe. I don't know. I, it just, I. Do you call the super host number? Cause they do have a super host number. Yeah, I do. Damn. Yeah. I've always had such good luck with that. I've had great people. Like when you get someone who's good, they're great. But yes. so many times, like the communication's so hard. You're just being pushed around and bounced around and, oh, we'll call you back. Oh, we'll get back to you. They don't get back to you. You need this issue resolved. You're asking them questions. They won't give you a straight answer on like their protocol for it. And it's like so cryptic. And what I've like even been talking to someone on the phone. He's like, let me look. And he's like reading something. He's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that part out loud. Don't tell. Because they have like a whole like dialogue they're supposed to follow that they're reading to you. And it's so irritating. <laughs> I just wish their customer service was better because I do really like Airbnb. I have my my qual or quarrels, whatever it mean, dislikes for. It. Anyways, but I really do like it. It's a powerful marketing platform. But there's there's some if they could just improve that, then it would be. But yeah, which is kind of ironic, right? Because as hosts, what we know to be true yeah. is that things can go wrong during a stay, yeah. but good customer service can fix almost anything. Yeah, if you're just quick on it, yep. If you're like. If you're if you know something went wrong and you offer the money before they have to ask for it, if you're really responsive, if you're trying everything to yeah. fix it, like that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. And yet, to then you would think that that would be a number one priority for them because it's so aligned with what we're doing as we serve their customers. That's so critical, right? But yeah, I don't know. so interesting. Okay, but on that note, one of the things you mentioned that I'd love to ask you about are how do you screen for red flags ahead of time to prevent bad things from happening with direct bookings or. Oh, no, no, no. Just with guests. Oh, so I'm, I'm just going back to, we're going to move on from direct booking. Perfect. Just Love it. in general screening. What are some of your red flags for screening guests? It's kind of like individual. I, you know, I've noticed a lot of people think that a guest not having a booking before is a red flag, which I actually thoroughly disagree with. I find that my first time booking guests are honestly great. Most of the time they're new to Airbnb. You get to like give them their first experience. They're usually more considerate of your space. This is like, they understand that they're genuinely like renting your home where like seasons, like Airbnb guests can be like more hypercritical, more like entitled Hmm. or like more like per, like they just have high expectations sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and I have no problem with high expectations, but they have expectations that are better suited for like a full-time concierge hotel, you know? Um, yeah. So I I think that's one thing that I don't care about that a lot of people care about as a red flag um, as far as like if they've had like stays or not. Because honestly, I've top five guests. A lot of them have had a ton of five-star reviews, like of my top five worst guests. So I don't mm. give it a lot of weight. I really am just like, whatever. If I see like a bad review, obviously like there was someone who tried to book my space. It was like last minute, which I don't love the last minute ones. They tend to be more problem 
problematic, but um, they had a review that was like talking about like piss in the spa and like leaving the place trash. So I called Airbnb and I was like, hey, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, and they helped me. Had they already booked like instant book? Yeah, I have instant book, but their policy surrounding instant book is like you can cancel you know, I think it's like three bookings that you feel uncomfortable with. And okay. I think it's within a year's timeline, which I've only had okay. to do that once because I read a review and felt uncomfortable to be on the book. And they've changed that. That did not used to be the case. I had to cancel an instant book once just because it was super last minute and the date wasn't available because I think my dad was in town. You're not very forgiving when that's the case. Yeah, I lost um, superhost status for like a year. This is when it was just in, within my house, right? Yeah. So it was like trickier. Yeah. And so they fixed that a little bit where that one, and understandably, like I should have blocked it off. We just never got last minute ones, but it screwed me over for a year. Yeah. So yeah. Other things too are like just the way to communicate. If they, I have a pre, this is a good tip hosts. Good tip. Okay. Pre-booking message. I have noticed there's certain things that a lot of people wouldn't do or wouldn't read or wouldn't notice. And I put them in a pre-booking message. And in my pre-booking message, I say, reply, yes, that you've read this. So I see who has actually read these details and knows that like these things are the case. So like, for example, like people would like assume our location is different than it is. So I have like a short little blurb about that. Or like I have a lot of people were just booking with one guest and not putting their pet in and not putting the second guest. And so we like prep the space a bit differently with like amenities and stuff for like pets. And we we have like a pet basket and a um, kennel for them and like a bed and doggy treats and things like that. So we put that out for them and we have like a, a blanket that goes on the couch to like help hopefully preserve. Okay. What a good way to incentivize them to disclose that they have pets. Your pet fee is not just in case of damage. It's also for all these added amenities that we're That's part of it. I have like a 300 something dollar kennel, like, and it like collapses and it's like super bougie and stuff. So it's like, yeah, we have, I wouldn't just like charge my fat pet fee. I know it's fat. I know guys. Um, (laughs) with like no amenities, like, yeah, you get the same thing as everybody else. No. So we have like other stuff for the pet stays too. There's like a, a lead outside for the, the dog to be on because it's like a big yard and whatever else we have like uh poop bags to help them take care of the poop and um bowls yeah. and um doggy shampoo i had a thing of um like peanut butter with one of those like bowls they could like the trick thing the, the lick mat yeah but we took that out because a little disobedient doggo ate it all yeah <laughs> he chewed <laughs> through the this was the mo- yeah, one of the top five worst guests I've had. And the dog got left unattended and it chewed through this jar of peanut butter and it was all over the rug. And like, it was bad. But yeah, so we don't do that treat anymore. But yeah, so we do stuff like that. But anyways, that's a side note. But yeah, so a common conundrum host expresses that um, like people don't put the pet in their booking, right? And so in my pre-booking message, I say like, hey, make sure you include your pet because they don't want people to be like surprised by a fee later and be like, ah, what? That's not what I expect. I want them to see the full price breakdown and be able to decide if like that suits their needs and their, but yeah. whatever else. And I know I'm not going to be the right fit for everybody and that's okay. But I want it to be like fully disclosed and not like surprise you showed up with a dog and you didn't put, you had a dog and now I have to charge you this fat pet fee that you weren't expecting, you know? So um yeah there's like Andrew I didn't prep the space for your pet you know right so, right um so yeah so that's one of the things I include in there um wait quick question when you say pre-booking message mm-hmm. but you have instant book turned on yeah. so when do they get that message yeah so um it's if you go like pretend to book a place I think you could probably see it before you actually had to pay but it pops up on Airbnb so like I actually got this idea from being a guest myself because they had a pre-booking message that like acknowledged some things and was like, Hey, please like, please reply. Yes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so smart. I learned it as a guest to be honest with you. And so I, so it's just through Airbnb. They'll get it before they can actually confirm their, I think if you go to, I think it's under booking settings and guest requirements and there's a pre-booking message spot and you can put a little message in there. So mine says like, basically like, you agree to pay for any damages you do. You put the right amount of um, guests and pets and you understand something else. I forget. So it just acknowledged things that were like reoccurring issues that I was like tired of like repeating to guests. Yeah. Actually. So that has helped with the, 
and I got on this like tangent because a red flag for me was people who would like book with one guest and then message me about who they were coming with and their dog and stuff. And I'm like, you like, it's so simple when you go to book to see that you put two guests and a pet, like it's bulletproof, I would think, but so many people don't put it. And so that's a red flag to me because it shows me you didn't read my listing and you're likely going to show up with expectations of things that don't exist here or aren't mm-hmm. like don't equate to my listing. And you're going to be unhappy with your stay because of that. So I right. put that like second check in there for the people who can like, hey, have you read and agreed to my house rules? Do you understand my property kind of thing? Because a lot of people would just, I think they look at pictures, don't put their guests count in, don't, and they just book and then they show up and they're like not happy about something. And I'm like, dude, it's right there in my listing. Like I put, my listing is so thorough because I just want everyone to have like an accurate understanding of what we offer. And so when I see that they haven't really probably read my listing, it's like, uh Oh, you know, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Red flag. They tend to show up and do things they aren't supposed to, or be unhappy with what I provide because they didn't read my listing and they can't really do much about that. So. I just put that on my to-do list to create pre-booking messages, but I do think I might put something in there that's like funny or like positive because I do hate, I like want guests to read my listing. I want them to do everything. I don't want them to feel like I'm like their mom or dad who's like, have you read this? Like, but it is important. Your point is so true. You get sick of saying the same things over and over again. How do you encourage people to read them in a way that feels supportive? Yeah. Like we just want you to have a good stay. Yeah. And we know there are certain elements of our stay that may or may not be a good fit for you. hundred percent. I will say I've never had a pre-booking message, but at my first cabin, it sleeps eight to 10 and it's in a college town. It's outside of a college town. To, to and I guess count and college town, which were like, I guess we're kind of technically a college town, like Cal Poly's here. And like uh-huh. get a lot of business because of like people knowing our area because of Cal Poly, but I wouldn't say I'm like a college state. Yeah. Well, App State is definitely a college. <laughs> Boone is is the home of App State. And our next door neighbors, it was a neighborhood of 18 homes and 15 of them are rented. But our next door neighbors happen to be full-time residents. Now, granted, we're in the mountains. You could barely see their house when the leaves are out. Yeah. But you can hear, like mm-hmm. we're over a valley so you can hear things and we'd get lots of complaints. So I created this and this time I didn't have instant book on. And if I was suspicious, <laughs> I sent this message that was just like, Hey, we would love to have you. Yeah. I just want to give you a heads up. Our neighbors are full-time residents. Yeah. They have been known to call the cops on rowdy groups <laughs> who are loud. And I said, I would hate for anything to interfere with your stay. Yeah. We want you to have a great time. If yeah. you're like looking for a quiet weekend in the mountains, you will love it here. Nice. If you have a louder group or a rowdier group, we totally want you to have a good time. We just might not be the best fit for you. That's very much verbiage I tend to use too. Like if this is the case, this is what we offer. This might suit you kind of thing. But I also- And we care about your guest experience. Yeah. We care. It's not about, it's not about like, oh, we don't want you to bother our neighbors. It's about like, we want your experience to be good. And I found that either they wouldn't reply and would never book or they would reply quickly and be like, oh my gosh, we're definitely not looking to party, but it sounds like this might not be the best fit. AK, we're looking to party, but like (laughs) we've self-selected out, which is great. Yeah. And then the third one was like, oh my gosh, we're coming with our grandparents and our one-year-old. Like, we're going to be in bed at 9 p.m. <laughs> this sounds amazing. I mean, what? That's what's giving you And that alone, we had zero issues after we started using that. Yeah, it's more it's more intensive to like have to manually do that and like decide who deserves that message or not. But it's, it's a good way to weed them out. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I would say my listing airs on the side of more momming and more stern than I want it to in an effort to deter those types. But then when you actually get to communicating with me, it's a very different vibe. And like, yeah, so it's like, yeah, I make exceptions to stuff. A lot of the time I'm more lenient, especially when people are like, Hey, whoops, like, I didn't see this. Like what I'm like, no big deal. Or like, you know, so it's like, I'm, I'm stirring up front in order to shield myself from a pain in the booty later, you know? And then like, I'm actually pretty mellow. (laughs) Yeah. This is where I feel like the sternness and labels start out very chill because you're like, I just want everyone to have a good experience. And then over time, the more bad experiences you have, the more jaded you become, the more stern you become, or the more questions you get, the more labels you input. And I (laughs) totally understand the value in both of those things. But I do think it's a constant balance to not lose that idealism of the early years where you're like, I want everyone to have a great stay in favor of being jaded. So I think that's constant work I'm doing is like, I do want to protect myself and I want the right fit. And I still want you to know that I am really excited to host you. Yeah. 
Um, and that there is joy in this too, not yeah. just like, this is my house that I'm letting you stay at. It's such yeah. a tough balance. Yeah. You have to like, not, I, I like to say you have to decide like to not mm, don't reactive hosting isn't the best way. So it's like if every bad experience you have, like you can't do, you can't go in your listing and change something for every bad experience. Cause it's probably one sour apple, you know, but like if you have a reoccurring bad experience with like a certain thing, then you might need to adjust your listing appropriately for that. So like, so like the pet thing we talked about last time, it's like, it wasn't the one dog that pissed all over everything that made me react and decide to increase my pet fee. It was a, an accumulation of experiences. And that was like the cherry on top where I'm like, I just need to raise my prices or not do this. And I still want to offer this for people who want it, but it's going to be more expensive for those that want it because that's like what suits my business and yep. like doing the math and seeing how much I'm spending to like make this happen for people. And I'm like, okay, well, I just have to raise the price. And if that works for people, great. And if it doesn't, oh, well, you know, but it's still yeah. an option for those that can pay. And quite frankly, getting a dog sitter is pretty expensive anyway. <laughs> so I was literally on my last cabin consultation. She's actually a former guest of mine. She stayed with us multiple times with three dogs and two dogs. And that's exactly what she said. She yeah. said, we don't mind paying a hefty yeah. dog fee because we always do the economic math of how much is it going to cost us to board them versus... Yeah bring them with us. We always want to bring them with us. So why not? Like yeah. we're happy to pay more, which was a good reinforcement of what we had talked about last week. Yeah. Yep. Don't be afraid to charge the pet fee if you need to. But I love what you're saying about reactive hosting is not yeah. the best way and checking yourself. Something that someone said to me about um, working in groups and neighborhoods, it came up in one of my HOA meetings and it was, Oh God. Sorry. No, it was like, great. I HOA. But we're so- I know. This was my this was my primary home, but um, the way she it's a mindset shift, and she said instead of thinking about what we want, yeah. what if we thought about what we can tolerate, yeah. and it changes everything. Like in a neighborhood setting, that's easy, right? Because it's like okay, so you're <laughs> playing your guitar loudly, and I can hear it, but it's seven o'clock at night. I think I can tolerate that. Mm-hmm. Okay, but now you're doing it at eleven. That maybe I can't tolerate, right? Like, do I want you to do it at 7.45? No, but can I tolerate it? Yes. At 11 p.m., maybe I can't, right? And it's just that reframe in my brain. And I think when it comes to hosting, that question is really important because if you can't tolerate it, your your own tolerance for like wanting to host is going to go away. So you have to figure out what those boundaries are that keep the joy for you to be hosting. And then in your case, I don't want to deal with like a lot of pet damage and that's what I've seen. So I'm going to put a boundary in place where it's like, if they do do damage, they've paid a hefty dog fee and I, I can then tolerate it considering that that's in place. So accurate. That's what makes it tolerable for me. And it also helps me just like, I don't, I can just cover the expenses and I don't have to like ask the guest and it does like, and I can provide amenities. I can like restock towels that have been damaged. And even though we give them doggy towels, but like, you know, so it's like, it, so it, it made it tolerable for me, which is why we do it for sure. But yeah, that's that's a good point. I think I probably at this point are on the side of a bit jaded with hosting, which I try not to be. But admittedly, I'm just kind of burnt on people's needs sometimes. But. Well, you've been doing it for what, five or six years? Since 2019. Yeah. Okay. Four years. Yeah. I do think after the first year or two. Yeah. That is not uncommon. Like yeah. I definitely I, I can have that tendency, but I've worked really hard to like yeah. to to just be careful of when it's showing up. Yeah. Because if sure. I lose yeah, if I lose the joy, like I don't want to do it either. Yeah. And I still find after nine years immense joy in hosting. And yeah. I think some I of too. that yeah. But I also think that that boundary that you put in place, so with the pet fee is such a good example because not only can you now tolerate it, but I actually think that having that whole doggy basket and like the nice kennel probably brings you joy too. When you have guests who are thrilled by that because you've gone above and beyond, that is one of the things that feeds your soul as a host, right? So like that actually allows you to do that. It just seems really smart. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. It's, it's just, it's a balancing game. And I think it's good for me to like, remember the guest experiences I've had and like the joy that I had through Mm. short-term renting and to like, like, yeah, I think honestly, what makes me jaded is like the lack of kindness from people. It's not so much that they messed up my house or that like they left me a three-star review with nothing going wrong in their stay and messaging me. It was great. (laughs) But like, you know, it's like, it's not that it's just like, I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's just people are people, but it's the, it's the lack of like kindness or respect and like, cause I would never do that to someone else's house. Yeah. Know? So to me, it's like, I, it's kind of, which 
every personality is different. Everyone's different. But I'm someone where it's like, if you let me borrow a car, I'm going to bring it back cleaner than I got it full of gas with like maybe a snack in the water cooler. You know, like something like, yes, like it's, yes. my, it's my like, I guess that's my love language. I don't know. But it's yeah. a way of saying, hey, thanks. You know, so to me, it's like, and I think I also had really good experiences as a guest. Well, I've had bad too, but um, yeah. <laughs> but I had really good experiences, especially internationally, because it's very much like, way more hospitable than the US like they're very kind they're like welcome into my home like that there's just a mentality of kindness and that kind yeah. of thing and so to think that people just like come and go and like trample over things that are just like whatever and like don't respect like what people have established for their property is like kind of hard for me just out of like the construct that like we would treat other people that way but I don't think it feels like personal to them I think it's just like whatever I just book this it's a space like they're not thinking about people and I'm like an, a huge empath at heart so yeah so that's hard yeah <laughs> you don't you don't understand it you can't relate to those people so no, then it's I like really I can't don't. even begin to understand why you wouldn't exactly. why you would do this yeah but not, now that I think about it I'm like at the end of the day they're just not they're not probably empath personalities <laughs> like I just, yeah they're they're not even thinking they did anything wrong they don't even think about the other person which is that's a personal thing. I don't understand how people do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always thinking about how I impact other people. Yeah. Which probably is one of the things that makes you a great host. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think it's so different here in the U S than it is internationally? What is it about our culture that creates that? Yeah. So mm, I think internationally, maybe there's an appreciation for the business. We bring them more than there is here to some degree. Our money is significant in a lot of the places I've traveled. So it's like people are like, they just think you're rich, you know, which in their world, you are rich. So I think that that you bring like a, a very powerful ability for them to thrive in their country when you book their place that doesn't come otherwise. And because of that, they're very hospitable and kind and like, welcome to my, you know, and I also think it's just culture, like the US culture, I don't think is as neighborly as it could be. And I've found yeah. And I, t I probably tend to like to travel places that are more neighborly. Like I like Central America. I like the Caribbean. I like little Queen Island shack vibe things, you know, like that's like yeah. I thrive there. Um, and so I love like a lot of the culture would be like Central America, you know, and I feel like they're yeah. very family welcoming, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I would say like when I was in like Portugal or Europe, like they meet you at the door and they let you in. I think it's required there to have short-term rentals. Um, yeah. From what I was told, I think by a host, I remember them being like, oh yeah, we have to. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. They weren't as like familial. As well, it feels different if you have to do it versus yeah, you're choosing to do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's mostly culture. I think it's also maybe like, we're so used to this here and yeah. like, like we, we've, grown uncomfortable with like community and transparency and like direct communication and so we have this like you know phone if I shouldn't I'm not everyone's watching this I put my phone in front of my face when I said this y'all <laughs> um, so it's like we're so used to hiding behind technology and like not actually communicating with people and seeing people as people and they're just kind of like an inconvenience or something that yeah. like, means to an end you know instead of like really acknowledging their existence. So yeah, so yeah I think maybe yeah. it's just culture, I think mostly. So yeah. So interesting to think about that. Okay. What about insurance? Yeah. Things that people should be thinking about. I'm jumping back to the list of, I just, I'm, we're still only like, I have like yeah. four more left for you and we only have 10 minutes left. Okay. Like what? how did this happen? No, it's not, it's not your fault. I, mean, I just don't know how this has happened happen. twice. <laughs> insurance. What should people be thinking about that they might not be thinking about in terms of insurance? <laughs> Yeah, make sure that this is a great question. Make sure that your insurance covers the ways you book because some insurances will only cover you if you book on Airbnb. Some won't cover you if you do direct booking. So I had to change my insurance to be able to do direct booking and book the ways I do. I would get your own liability. I think so much of like people's sense of security with Airbnb is that, you know, oh, well, they provide a million in liability and a million in, I don't know what they call it, property or something, whatever yeah. it's an insurance. Um, and so I, I think that it's important to seek like being independently insured for that because again, I don't have that false sense of security with Airbnb personally. Agreed. Um, and so you're going to have to jump through hoops to get them to pay on that and they're going to fight it Yeah, they, from what I've heard. Yes. And I mean, I think 
that's kind of just the nature of insurance. Yeah, agree. But yeah, so I, yeah, just make sure that it covers for short-term renting for one, because regular old homeowners won't cover for short-term renting, which yep. I didn't realize when I first started hosting. I'm like, wait, I just thought you insured your house. I didn't know. But you're technically running a business out of your house. So like, yep. you got to have that. And then just make sure you have liability that will cover you in the variety of circumstances that can occur with short-term rental. Like loss of use. That's the big one that I always say yeah. is like, if anything happens where then you have to cancel a bunch of reservations. Yeah. If you have loss of use and you then they'll look back at your years prior records of yeah. how much you would have made during mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. And they will not only pay for the damages, but also for the lost revenue. Yeah. And I think that's a really big deal if something yeah. happens and you have to go through repairs. Yeah. Yeah. For us, I, that wasn't like it's individual, right? But for us, that wasn't as big of a deal. I have some loss of use, but for for me, first off, we're handy. We've renovated the space once. So I'm like, we can fix it again. But yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, you know that you can, which is and nice. So I'm like, I'll get it done quicker, you know. But um, but also it's like it's I don't have to have that income. It does, it would be tight without it. But so that wasn't as big of a thing. For me, it was more like uh liability security and um yeah. yeah, and making sure that I would be insured, like should a guest cast catch the house on fire, which would be really ironic that a married fireman, but actually <laughs> wouldn't be home when the house is on fire. I'd be out there with a freaking garden hose. Like, where's my husband? Oh my God. But, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, should a guest catch it on fire, I want to make sure I'm insured and that the insurance would cover that occurring. So yeah. Yeah. And just FYI, like the liability for me, it costs like nothing to add it on to my policy. Yeah, I know. It is so little compared to what I pay in insurance. Oh, and if you have a wood stove, make sure you're disclosing all of that. Yes. Um, again, I just discla- we just added one in our primary home and it added $0 to the cost. That hasn't been the case with our short-term rentals. It did up it a little bit, yeah. but that is our highest risk. And if you yeah. don't have that included and disclosed, if that yeah. causes a fire, you will not be covered. You will immediately yeah. be excluded also, from any coverage. Forget, but before I forget, make sure you apply it. Like think about your amenities. So like we have we had bikes. We don't provide them anymore because they barely got used, but bikes, spa, like, are those covered if a guest takes the bike off site and gets hurt? Like, cause they, like, what if they're like, Oh, the chain on the bike was bad. It's the host fall or something like that. So like yeah. think about your amenities you're providing to like, we don't do fire. We, we converted to a gas stove cause EPA in California and all these things. But yeah. Um, and I was new that the intent was for short-term renting. And I was like, I ain't brave enough to do woodworking with guests. So so yeah. we have uh, gas, but yeah. And another thing that I learned when I was researching insurance was um, leaving alcohol for your guests. A lot of hosts will leave a bottle of wine. And if say that most insurances say you, that guest drinks that bottle of wine, gets a little loo, goes up your ladder and falls and they sue you and blame it on the alcohol you provided, you're not covered with most insurance policies because you need something entirely different for the liquor. Okay. That is very good to know. Yes. Sorry. Know that. Okay. We put champagne out for holidays and I literally never thought of that. Yeah. I started putting out like Martinelli's essentially because it, and also you don't know if they drink or not and whatever. I know. I've wondered about that. So I can't do and they don't care and they like it. It could be a box of chocolates. I'm thinking what I like about champagne is that it stays good. So when I'm in town, I'll go and buy 20 bottles and just put them in storage where it's like food. But I can come up with something else for that. That's a really good idea. Okay. Or not idea, but good to know. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Did not know that. Okay. It's also part of like why you have to write listings the way you have to write them and say some of the things you have to do. It's like liability and insurance, man. Like we live in yeah, the it couldn't hurt. lawsuits, man. So you got That's it. right. Yeah. It couldn't hurt to hire a lawyer one time to review all of your listing, <laughs> all of your emails. I might actually do this with my lawyer and just have them give it a once over. You might pay for a couple hours of work or yeah. whatever. And it it might be, but to cover you for all of that stuff would be, and, and some of it I think could just be, you change a couple words here and you're covered. So yeah. That might not be a like bad idea. It's bulletproof, but you can try. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last one I'm going to cover because I just feel like you're going to have a lot of good. And we have a little more than five minutes if we need it. But people ask about this all the time and you're great on Instagram. So I feel like you're going to have a lot of thoughts on okay. photographers and influencers. Yes. How do you approach this strategically? So in terms of making your own plan yeah. and how do you approach this reactively as in when people pitch you? Talk to us about both. Okay. Um. Yeah. So honestly, I value working with photographers a lot more than influencers. I have done a lot of trial and error with it. I kind of was just like, well, see how it goes, you know? Like, yeah. And I've definitely learned that there's 
significantly more influencers that hold like no value than there are ones that hold value. Um, and so I think the things that I realized in working with influencers was like, you have to make sure that they're first off a genuine influencer. So, um, the first influencer I worked with, she was like a travel influencer. She was based out of, I think like LA or something. And I get a lot of guests from there. And, um, she, I, she jumped up in followers, I think a hundred thousand followers, like a couple of days before her stay was supposed to happen. And that's not really a thing. So I think she was purchasing her followers, which I did not recognize at the time, which was weird because she had a fair amount of engagement. But anyways, so she showed up, shared stuff, and it wasn't valuable at all because her followers weren't genuine. And so I learned to, she and she was in my niche, right? So like one thing, make sure that they're already marketing what you sell. We'll start there. So okay. she was marketing what I sell. She was marketing vacations. She was marketing places to stay. That is powerful, right? Then make sure that their engagement and their following is genuine and ask where they're coming from. Because I, most of my guests come from California. They're not from Europe. I get a handful from, it seems like New York. I think they're tied to LA. That's why. Um, yeah, they're like coming to LA and then travel from there. Yeah. yeah. So, but I don't get a ton of people from the East Coast. So I'm looking for people mostly in California, mostly on the West Coast, because I know that that's where my guests are coming from. Like, don't try and go against the grain, right? Yeah. So now I've learned after you make sure they're a real influencer, then see if they have followings in the area that you get guests from. Because if so, they're marketing to the right people already for you, right? How do you find these two things out? Because I think that's what someone who's not doing any of this would ask. And I'm not sure I know the answer to it is like, how do I know if they're buying their followers or if their follower count is real? And how do I know where their followers are from? I think I have an idea of that one, but how do you do that? So I ask them where their followers are from and they usually give me a percent. They can see it in their stats. And a lot of the time they'll send me a screenshot and show me. And then um, I like if I don't trust that they're telling the truth, like I just won't work with them anyway, too, honestly. So like, but most of the time they'll send me a screenshot. Um, and then, uh, what was your other question? You asked how I know where they're from. How do you know if their followers are real? Oh, right. Yeah. So, um, engagement. So if you see someone who okay. has a hundred thousand followers and 200 likes, they're probably what well, maybe they did gain those followers genuinely, but they're not, they're not interacting with their stuff. So that it's, you know, not very valuable. Like I have 6,000 something followers and I'm getting whatever engagement. That's more than someone with 100,000. I've seen a few times. And you can ask them to share their engagement too. So maybe it's just asking them, can you share some of your numbers? Yeah. I like the idea of asking them to screenshot because a typical one is send me your media kit. Yeah. But a media kit, to be clear, because I have one is like, I made it. I can update it whenever I want. And it is really tricky because one of the things on a media kit is engagement. But like, or I think one of them is like accounts engage. I'm trying to remember what it is, but it changes all the time. If I have one reel go viral, then like one week I could be at 1.5 million people have interacted with my account. Really and then, yeah. And then literally a week later, and I didn't know this until I created my own media kit. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, well now I'm down to like literally 170,000, yeah. which is like a huge swing just based yeah. on how many reels you had go viral in that period of time. But like, am I going to go back and change my media kit from 1.5 million to like 200,000 when that happens? Probably not. And 1.5 million wasn't a lie. That's what happened that week. It's funny because I I talked to an influencer where that was very obvious because I looked at her reels. I was like, how is her engagement so high? And I was like, oh, she's had a few viral. So yeah, it's it's not a black and white science. And so it's honestly, I would say it's a gamble most of the time. I've worked with one influencer that was powerful and helpful. And I don't know that she necessarily brought my bookings, but she brought traffic to my listing. And with that, I did better in the algorithm on Airbnb, which then in turn brought me bookings. How could you tell that? How did you connect your increased Airbnb traffic to her stay? Um, Because I use Linktree, which tracks views. So when she shared her post, my views jumped on my Airbnb listing. And then I saw the influx of bookings as well. Okay. So great. I use Linktree too, and I rarely ever look at it, but good point. Even if you never look at it, when you have an influencer stay, that would be a good time to look at it to see what it, what it does. It was like bringing myself around like 500 something views on my listing. And then it jumped to like 
1200 or something like that. So I knew she brought me like a fair amount of views to my listing. So, and whether those, that's the thing, like whether those people are booking or not, they're, they're looking at your Airbnb listing, which helps you in the Airbnb algorithm. So that was, yeah. But yeah. So, and that's, I think that's a good reminder though, that while follows are nice, they're not like that conversion rate matters. And so, yeah, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. And so I think looking at numbers besides just how many followers you got during their stay, like if folks aren't following you, because maybe they don't want cabin stuff on their feed, that's fine. But they are looking at your Airbnb listing. Ultimately, that's why you want followers. So pay attention to that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of like on my Instagram too, I have a lot of silent followers that like aren't necessarily like chatting with me and stuff. So like, yeah, which can be hard, (laughs) but um, yeah. So, which th- I think is why it's valuable to show up on your Instagram as a person that hosts a space because who wants to talk to an A-frame? They want to talk to me. And when we get the right. most, when I get the most engagement online, it's me. Unfortunately, I wish it was the A-frame, but I'm like, I'm trying to get you all to like my space, but you like me more than my space. <laughs> but yeah, fair enough, fair enough. You like talking to people. I get it. But um, yeah, so I don't know. You build a relationship with a human and not a little bit with a house, but it's just not the same, you know? Yeah. Although I will say the posts, I get the most engagement when I show up, yep. but I get, um, the most shares, which technically counts as engagement yeah. when there's stuff of the house. Cause then people are sharing it to someone else. I'm assuming yeah. either because they hopefully want to plan a trip. Yeah. Although more often than not, I think it's cause they're like, Oh, we should do this thing. We should order this chair. We should do we this. Should build this. Yeah. You should this. yeah. Which is also fine. I'm putting it out there. People I can't agent, control. Right? Yeah. That's right. I can't control how they consume it. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, but of the house, more people are apt to share it, whereas of me, more people are apt to comment or message, yeah. I think. Yeah, I would say too, like it's important to have a clear outline of what exactly they're supposed to deliver. And honestly, I might err on the side of like having a deposit paid to you to begin, which a lot of influencers won't like. But I've had a few bail last minute because they and it was unfortunate. (laughs) So yeah, never heard that before. So that's really good because if they don't put anything like if there's no accountability for it if they're not getting paid and it's just a trade how do you make sure they don't cancel and you've blocked those days for yeah, just write up a little contract that's like you know you you book it with your card you get refunded refunded when you show up or give your deliverables and you have these days and should you try and cancel x y and z happens and whatever like because i think i would do that now because i've just gotten burned a few times so and and yeah. the thing is too you also have to do like the math on like what value it's bringing to you like so for me it's like i book at around 100 percent occupancy almost every month of the year so on my own so and right. i'm not any kind of a marketing guru you know like i try but i'm not like the best you know so it's like the fact that i do as good as i do with what i put into the, my business is kind of wild but anywho but um so i think you have to like look into the value cuz i've had influencers like big name influencers that i'm sure if i said their name people would know just right off the bat want to work with us but they want 6 grand just to show up or like i've had people even say like i was like oh share stories during your stay one post one reel and they were so offended because they thought they should get paid the equivalent of a down payment on a house to show up and I was like, no. So there's, I'm never making that money back. And I'm, I'm, there's only, like you've said before, there's only so many days in a year and I'm already booking most of those days. So you really don't right. provide me with a ton of value in that case. So I like to work with photographers a lot of time because that's great value, right? They give you good photos. You can use them for your own marketing. You can use them on their, your social media. Like they are quality. They're not like grainy iPhone quality where you're right. like, okay. Well, which like, honestly, grainy iPhone quality is fine. If they have really powerful marketing, if they, if they bring you good guests with their, their iPhone photos, sweet, you know? Right. But, but, um, I've found that I feel I get more value out of working with like influencers when it's photographers that have quality product to provide you. Cause a yep. lot of the times the influencer product is very variable and they don't only, they don't always have control over that. So yeah, um, I totally agree. We've pretty much only worked with photographers that yeah, we paid for. But similar to you, Cozy Rock is always booked. So it's like the cost for a photographer there is more because it's giving up a stay that I know that I could book. Whereas our cabin in Boone, often weekdays are not booked during certain times of the year. Yeah. So it'd be really easy for me to arrange a trade or even I'm willing to pay more because I don't feel like I'm losing money on that stay. But if I'm paying for the photos and losing money on that stay, that's fine. I just need to know that the output is going to match that cost. It's not just $2,000 for the images. It's also $1,000 for the two nights stay. So yeah. now we're looking at three grand. So I just want three grand worth of content, whatever 
they price their content at. That's fine. It just all needs to yeah. be agreed upon. It's funny too, because a lot of the time I feel like there's like this culture with influencers where they're like, oh, I'm providing you all this value and you're you're not giving me anything. Like you're not paying me anything. It's like, well, I'm paying you the equivalent of my stay. So I've had people be like, oh, well, it's not valued at that. And I'm like, do you realize how much you would have to pay to stay? Like they equate, you know? So it's tricky though, because because yeah. I've done a couple photo trades yeah. and what I learned from that was how much I was not able to relax during that stay. Mm-hmm. I was constantly, so I was on working. So it wasn't... So it is so real as a host. I see this. It's so real that I am giving up that money. So I am paying that. Yeah. But I can also see how they might be like, yes, but I'm not enjoying it at that price point. If I'm paying yeah. that price point to stay somewhere, I'm on vacation. Yeah. And that's not what I'm getting. I'm not right. on vacation. Right. So therefore that price isn't actually valuable to me. And I totally hear that too. This is where it gets so tricky. It's it's very tricky. And I'm not opposed to paying on top of free states for sure, but within reason, because I think a lot of people are unreasonable. They're like, oh, I want you to give me a free stay, pay me X amount, and then I'll maybe deliver these. Probably doesn't yeah. include delivering them. And and I, I've even had people pitch me like, oh, I want a percent on each booking I bring you. And I'm like, no, because I'm going to bring what? You those bookings anyway, because I get those myself. So it doesn't make right. sense. And I, I'll be really straight with people. I'm like, and I've definitely offended people. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that from a business perspective? Because I book my days anyway. Why would I give you 10% for this? And, you know, a, I've never heard that asked before. Yeah, more influencers are kind of switching that way. They want like a percent on bookings and like stuff they bring in, which that business model really doesn't work for me. Maybe it would work for somebody who has like a listing that's not booking at 100% occupancy. But also what you have to think about is weekends are high demand, right? You probably know you're going to book weekends. Well, the influencer is probably going to for sure market to people that want to book weekends. That's right. That was my first thought. How do I tell, like, I'm not going to give you credit for a weekend booking that would have booked otherwise, but a weekday one, I'm not opposed to that idea. I kind of like it encourages, it incentivizes you to like get more people to book. I'm in favor of that. But yeah, Mm -hmm. to your point, at Cozy Rock, it wouldn't make sense because we're already booking. At the other two, it would make sense. I'd be open to it, but not necessarily for weekends, which are probably going to book anyway. Yeah, it's it's a hard balance to strike. And it's like you want everyone to be happy with the agreement and whatever not like. But yeah, at the end of the day, I value working with photographers and videographers more than I do like influencers, just because I think that the influencers that probably truly provide good marketing value now want easily the equivalent of a month's income or maybe a percent on bookings. And it's just like it's not there's no rationale to that for me because my business is relatively thriving on its own without that. You, you know, maybe you find value in doing it here and there and give it a whack. But I, for me, I just, I couldn't justify it. I wanted to, but I was like, I can't, it doesn't make sense. It's purely economics. I always think about it that way. If you can get away with charging that and people are paying that, then you have figured out something that's working for you. More power to you. It does not work for my economic model for these reasons. So I can't make it work, but I don't blame you for asking for that. I've also learned since we've started creating content for some brands, how much people pay influencers to create content for them. And it's insane. So then that does give me some perspective if they're getting that kind of pay for other brand work they're doing. But again, all that means for them is economically, this doesn't make sense for me. I might not do cabins because they can't work. And they need to be their marketing too, right? Too. So like if an influencer is trying to work with small businesses like us, like we're not going to pay the rate of a hotel or some like other large corporation. And and booking states is very different than selling something that they can ship to their door. Like it's a lot harder to like actually bring income in from that and stuff like that. So I think it's just a hard balance to try. And I'm like, I'm no marketing expert. I just honestly trial and error the crap out of it. <laughs> and so, yeah, I agree. So, but I value photographers a lot. They give me like a tangible thing to use. And sometimes they also like market to people who are interested in what you have more, probably more for the visual and for the love of cabins than for yeah. things. But yeah, so it, it, yeah, I would say any particular ones you want to shout out. Um, yeah, Caleb it's wait, let me pull up his, is it G Caleb Jones? Yes. Girl, I was literally messaging him with the, the this it. morning do about and shoot art. Cause he lives in Atlanta. How did you get him all the way out West? Was um, he coming? Okay. Um, he was he was out here for a road trip already. That's just this pesky fly is flying around around here. Um, and uh, the Tahoe. Yeah. So wait, hold on. Um, I don't want to. He is literally the 
like we have been messaging all morning. It is so funny that you said his name. And I've been on the fence because it's for my cabin in Boone where we just don't make that much money. Yeah. And it's not inexpensive. So I'm like, oh, but now, okay, that's so easy. Yeah. I'm just going to message yeah, so him right now and be like, let's do it. Yeah. So he, um, he'd worked with, um, I wanted to say her handle, right? That's why I pulled it up. Okay. Um, Tahoe Little Black Cabins. Yeah. 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 And Hannon. And um, she has so many amazing properties. And so she worked with him, I think, on the East Coast because she has properties over there. And he was over here. And I think she suggested my property to him. So then he asked to stay, which I feel like was a big blessing because I'm like so like I'm such a small little property compared to what he's worked with. I'm like, I feel so humbled that you want to work with me. But yeah, so he and his wife, they took beautiful photos. And he, I feel like he's like an up and coming like Levi Kelly or um, yeah. uh, Dirt and Glass is a dirt. Yeah. Glass. I love Yeah. That. They're heavy East Coast. Them. They've been going out West more. But this is one of the reasons I wanted your recommendations because I know all the East Coast photographers. Yeah. Do you have any other West Coast specific ones for our listeners on the West Coast? Um, I mean, I've worked with the local to us here, uh, Ballesteros Photography. They're not like uh, they're not like a niche for for cabins or short-term rentals, but he's done amazing for our property. I can't say that we don't have a lot of those like cabiny influencers that you guys have on the East coast. Um, yeah. I'm yet to discover someone who's like really niche for that. Like here yeah. that like, yeah, there's some in like the Pacific Northwest, but it can't. So any me. photographers listening, there is an opening. Bring it in. <laughs> the West coast market apparently. Yeah. Okay. Which leads me to my last question. Yeah. Which is, and I'm so curious because we don't talk to enough people on the West Coast. So cabin cultures, I do think a little bit different on the West yeah. Coast and the East Coast. Yeah. Um, what makes a cabin a cabin and how do you see those differences in cabin culture between the coasts? If you were to describe like cabin culture on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the cabin culture is honestly like comparable across coasts. It's kind of like a unifying thing, you know, but I, I feel like what cabin, it's like what I described in the beginning when you were asking me about like my family's cabin. It's like quaint pitched walls and quirky, you know, like the floors make noise when you walk on them and it's like cold until you get the fire going. And like that kind of thing is like what I like you know, pine. I feel like there has to be pine. I don't know. Like a cabin without pine is just like, it's less cabiny, <laughs> but Agreed. yeah. So, so I feel like those things are what I associate with like cabins and cabin culture and stuff. Um, but yeah. I, is I, your, is the boho A-frame a cabin? Um, I think so. Yeah, it's we've got the quirky pitches. It's like <laughs> it's got some squeaks on the loft floor sometimes. Like it's from the fifties. Like it's quaint. It's got characters. Yeah. You so. totally brought it back to life. Yeah, we really did. Oh my god! Just because it looks nice doesn't mean it's not a cabin. And I yeah. love that because I do believe a lot. Obviously, I built one of mine, but in taking these abandoned ones and bringing life back into them and continuing the story that was started by other people at a different time with a different demand. So you making oh it nicer God. is just adjusting it for the time we're in now in the use case yes. for your guests. 100%. I love it. Candace, this was so fun. I feel yeah. like we just like went through such a list of so many hosting things. We always touch on a couple, but this yeah. was really fun to just like go all in on hosting with another yeah. host. Are we going to end up being like the longest podcast yet? That's like two yeah. hours of talking. It's going to be two. I'm going to cut it into part one and part two. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a chatty <laughs> individual. <laughs> But I also just think having another host with, you know, four or five years under their belt, you really just see an experience a lot. And some of your yeah. experiences are quite different from mine. So it's really mm -hmm. fun, I think, to have like just another like data set of what yeah. you've learned from hosting and how yeah. that has improved your systems and your amenities and everything that you offer your guests. Yep. There's something different to learn from everybody for sure. What a treat. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. And if you liked what you heard, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or share some of your favorite parts over on Apple podcast. If you have feedback or suggestions for the future, you can also find me on Instagram at cozy rock cabin. Looking forward to next week. <laughs>